Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Begin by Soho CRM. So let's face it, you don't have to use spreadsheets, notepads, reminders, and 10 other apps to manage your customer information like you may be doing today. Whether you're a startup, a small business, or a freelancer, did you know that you can manage your business as effectively as any large corporation? With the current market, it's more critical than ever to retain existing customers while also staying on top of your sales pipeline. And you can do this with your business today by saying no to spreadsheets. Begin supercharges your workflow and helps you engage prospects, manage pipelines, and close deals without skipping a single beat. It has a super simple drag and drop interface, which will have you up and running in under 30 minutes. All listeners of our podcast can get up to 15 days for free, the free trial, along with a 50% off and up to $100 when you sign up. Just go to Soho.to forward slash begin Pantera Advisor and get started. If you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Chris. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every cell situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous. I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited about the guests that we have today. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, and all of the above, all the good stuff that we love to hear. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Payam Benasade. Welcome to the show. Good to be with you. I'm happy and excited to chat with you and your audience about building a satellite company. Amazing. So, hey, let's say let's do a little of a walk through memory lane, Payam. So how was life growing up in Texas? So I actually grew up in Iran and then I moved to Texas when I was a teenager and Iran and Texas are quite different. I used to live in Tehran, the capital of Iran. We get four seasons. Um, we get snow, we get fall, spring and, and summer. I was about you know, 30 minutes away from a ski resort. And so I would go skiing whenever I could. And then I moved to Texas, um, obviously nowhere to ski, no snow, uh, and no four seasons. But uh, that was fun. And, uh, you know, when someone asked me in U.S. where I am from, of course, I'm from Iran. But within U.S., I still say I'm from Texas, even though I've been living in California for the last 
uh, what, 12, 13 years. And and I guess for you guys, I mean, moving to the U.S. is is a really big deal. I mean, obviously, different culture, different everything. How how big of a culture shock was it? Yeah, so Iranian culture and American cultures are actually quite similar in a lot of different ways. At a high level, it wasn't big of a cultural differences, but of course, um, you know, new country, different language, um, different systems, um, and I you know I had to get adjusted pretty quickly. And, um, and I think I got adjusted really fast. I remember I was going to baseball games I would go, I would go hunting. Um, you know, I, I, I became as much of a Texan as I, as I could within probably the first six months. And, uh, and I, and I really enjoyed my time in Texas. It was, it was, it's a, it's a good place. And I called it home for a while. And how inspiring do you think it was? I'm sure it was big time, you know, to come to the U.S., obviously super uncertain, everything, new friendships, new everything. But, you know, also seeing your parents, you know, go through that incredible transition, because I'm sure that for them probably was a bigger, you know, change. Right. I mean, they left uh, family, friends, you know, jobs, careers and came here to the U.S. So I'm sure that seeing that firsthand for you, I'm sure that was very inspiring. Yeah, for sure. You know, my, 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 my family actually moved to us long time ago before, before I was born, before they were married, they moved to us and they came up, they came alone. They came separately. They didn't know each other. They went to school here. And, and so they went through sort of this immigration process much earlier in life. And, and they moved here with, with absolutely no money. My dad has told me stories of him, you know, working in restaurants as a, as a dishwasher to just really, you know, to be able to pay for his education. And I think there is a very unique experience when you immigrate to a new country, which is, you know, it's a clean canvas. And now you've got, you've got to build new friends. You've got to build a new life. Um, you've got to build your credibility again from zero. Um, you've got to build a network of people that can, that can help you and you helping them. And, um, and because you have so much proving to do, from day one, I think you go into this sort of overdrive mode where where you are forced to, to work harder and you're forced to be standing out because you have a lot to prove and to show both to yourself as well as you know people around you. And I think that is that is a very unique experience that all the immigrants from all the countries go through and it really sets them up for for success in in entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, we can obviously talk more about that, but I, I certainly felt that way um, as, a, as an immigrant moving here. And in your case, how do you get into space? Because, I mean, you got into it, you know, pretty, pretty early on, and, and that has been, you know, the path that you've been embarked since. You know, I liked, uh, I liked space from, from early on, and um, I think the, the first time I remember doing anything, you know, sort of space related was in element in middle school, not elementary, sorry, middle school. And that was through um, astronomy. Um, I was attracted to the sky, the night sky. And, and I got into astronomy and I, um, uh, looking through the lens of a telescope and, and looking at the stars and, and planets is what attracted me to, to space initially. Then learning about how stars are formed and, and how they, and how they die, and and how planets go around around the sun, and the physics of it uh, was sort of the next step for me. And then at some point, I realized I'm more of an engineer than a scientist, 
Um, and so I wanted to get into building things. And of course, because of the attraction to astronomy and space, I decided to go uh, into aerospace engineering and try to build stuff that goes into space. Um, and so sky was, you know, the, the stars and the, and the night sky was what attracted me um, initially to space. And, um, and then one, one thing led into another. And now, now I have a space company. And I mean, in your case, I mean, it's it's a pretty interesting transition because, as you were saying, I mean, you go from research to engineering, and then from engineering, at at one point, you realize, hold on, I'm going to put a pause on this, and I'm going to go to grad school. So, why business school? I mean, how how do you think, or how do you realize that perhaps business school is, you know, the next stop for you? Yeah. So I uh, so I uh, if we go back in time, in 2012, I graduated from UT Austin. Uh, with my with my bachelor in aerospace, and I immediately um, applied for grad schools, and I wanted to go get a PhD in aerospace, and uh, and I I had graduated in in a in a weird timing, I graduated in the middle of the year, um, and and so the the grad school applications wouldn't open up until the next year, and so I had like six months to go work somewhere. I decided to go to JPL, the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab, work for six months. Um, and in the meantime, apply for grad schools and I applied for all the grad schools that I wanted to go to the, the Stanford's and the MIT's and the Georgia techs and, and, and all of those went to JPL, uh, and I liked my job so much that I decided that I'm not going to go to grad school immediately. I'm going to actually stick around for an extra couple of years and work in the industry. And, um, and at some point after that, you know, a couple of years into it, I realized aerospace was actually not the thing I wanted to do. Um, and, and the reason for that was it, it's just, it used to be very slow. Uh, you know, this is now back in 2012 and in order to do a, to do a project at NASA, um, you're lucky if your project from the time you start working on it till the time that it actually gets launched in space, you're lucky if it's 10 years. And so if you're going to work for 30 years, you're going to do maybe three projects total. And all my friends were in software and they were shipping software, you know, every other week, uh, things are moving really fast. And I decided that I, that aerospace was a little too slow for me. And I felt like been there, done that. I've come to NASA. Um, it was, it was a, it was a dream of mine to go work there. And now I want to leave and I want to switch my major. I want to switch industry and I want to get into software. And that's when I decided to leave NASA two years into it and, and come to Stanford and, and do, and, you know, switch to business. Now I didn't go to the business school at Stanford. I went and I did a, what's called an engineering management, but I took all the business school classes and I, and that helped me sort of, um, you know, change my career a little bit, but of course, uh, I, I couldn't leave aerospace. I loved it so much. And I decided that there is a company that I could build to change some of, um, you know, how things are being done in space and do it faster. And so that's what we do at Capella. And, and so it's funny, how I, I wanted to leave aerospace, but then it sort of sucked me back into it. And now I'm pretty deep into aerospace uh, with Capella. But that is a, a, a really big shift no? because I mean, before you were an employee and uh, you didn't have exposure to, to startups, right? To the venture world before. So as they say, you know, idea is, ideas, they take time to incubate, you know, they're dormant. We don't even know they're there, but essentially, you know, there are certain events that trigger us or that push us over the edge to really, you know, take action. 
So what would you say, you know, happening in your case, Payam, to really tell yourself, hey, you know, I, I, I think that I want to do this. I think I want to build my own company and this is what I want to do. When I came to Stanford um, after JPL, this is in 2014. And, you know, at Stanford University, it's everyone is thinking about starting a company. And it, even if you had no idea and you had no desire of wanting to start a company, when you come to campus, when you go to classes at Stanford, you often find people that are sitting right next to you, right behind you, right in front of you, um, in class, at cafeteria, outside, you know, at a bar. Literally, you're overhearing people talking about ideas and starting companies. And so it's, in a weird way, really contagious. Um, and so the idea of, well, you know, if all these people are starting companies, um, I could also think about starting companies is, you know, got into my head that first year. Um, and it was at the same time, there was a there was a plane that was a Malaysian flight MH370 that went missing. This was a big plan, triple seven, and it just went missing. Uh, you might remember it was all over the news. People were talking about this plane for a very long time. No one could find plane. No one, no one knew what happened and where exactly this plane went down. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, holy crap, there's a triple seven with 280 passengers or so who've just gone missing on this one planet we call home and we can't find it. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, we're in the, you know, it's 21st century, the triple seven goes missing on this one planet we call home and we can't find it. What else goes missing that we don't even know? And is, is there, is there value? Is there importance? Should we know? And is there anyone, is there anyone looking for these things? And that was a journey of probably a couple of years um, to really go understand what are we doing from space to monitor our planet? There was a ton that we did back then. There's a ton that we do today, but there was a massive gap in how we monitor our planet from space. And, and that's the gap that Capella, my company, is now filling, which is we're not monitoring our planet um, reliably enough, and we're not doing it um, at, at a high frequency all the time. And so with all the satellites that are going around Earth, you know, some of them are providing communication. Some of them are providing internet and TV, um, and some of them are taking pictures of our planet, but uh, not, not a whole lot of them, especially when we start Capella, can do imaging of our planet when it's cloudy, which is you know a lot of the times, or, um, or when it's nighttime. They can't do imaging at night. And that just left a massive gap of observation. If, if you can't look at the planet when it's cloudy and or if it's nighttime, that is like 75% of the time at any given time. So most of our planet essentially at any given time was invisible to, to ourselves because we just didn't have a you know, capability to monitor our planet reliably all the time. And, and so that, you know, those few things led me to, to think that we could start a company and really change that paradigm by launching satellites that allows us to, to do imaging um, at all times and all weather conditions and in all, all light conditions, day, nights, um, foggy, smoky, hazy, thunderstorm. And then now we've got the constellation of more than seven satellites that we're operating as Capella Space. And we're collecting imagery of uh, lots of places around our, our planet. And we're doing it all the time, daytime, nighttime, and through all the weather. So 
that was sort of the genesis of the idea. And we've been doing it for now, you know, the last seven years or so. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As a founder, you need to always be in problem-solving mode and really being faced with challenging situations, whether it's with life or with the business itself, you need to find a way to find the, the better solution, the solutions that are going to help you to really overcome that roadblock. And a therapist, a therapist like, for example, the ones that BetterHelp matches you with could be a good option for you. And I mean, I remember, for example, for myself with relationships, with experiences, I've used therapy in the past, and it really helped with unloading depression, anxiety. So BetterHelp is a really good solution. You could try it because it's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online where you can get matched with a therapist that could be the right fit for you. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash dealmakers today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash dealmakers. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And for the people that are listening to get it, Payam, what? What ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money with Capella? We're essentially four companies in one. Um, so the first company is, it, it's a design and manufacturing of satellite companies. So we design and manufacture our own satellites. Uh, we're headquartered in San Francisco, and then we have a pretty big office in Colorado. Um, and so that's what, that's what the first company does. We build our own satellites. Then we give those satellites to rocket companies such as SpaceX to launch them for us. And then once they're launched, we then operate those satellites ourselves. So that's the second company where we can do satellite operations ourselves. We operate our own satellites. And then those satellites are going around Earth and our customers are um, requesting images of um, areas that are important for them, to them. And we collect those imagery for them on their behalf. And now we're a data company. And that's the third company, which is now we're collecting this data and then we're monetizing and selling that data to our customers. And then the fourth company that we're just starting to, to get into is we're starting to build analytics 
to analyze the data that we're collecting from our own satellites and be able to sell um, information to customers as opposed to just the images and just the data. And so as an example, when we collect an image over, you know, a, a port of Singapore, uh, we are then able to detect all the vessels, all the ships that are in that port and deliver, you know, how many ships are in that port to the customer along with the image of that port. And we charge those customers, obviously, a fee for collecting the imagery and processing it and, and, and delivering that information. And so simply putting, that's how we make money. And now in your guys' case, you guys have raised quite a bit of money. How much capital have you guys raised to date? We've raised more than $170 million from venture capital investors. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll probably raise additional funding um, in, 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 the coming, uh, in the coming months as well. And in this case, I mean, how has it been the experience of going from one financing to the next and and I'm sure that you've had some setbacks. So, so what, what has been that experience? Yeah. So financing a business is, yeah, is pretty, it's pretty fascinating. I think if there is anywhere in the world that, that can do this, it's just remarkable how, how us and the, and, and the system here allows it. I mean, if you think about it, my investors who have given me money, you know, more than $170 million. Um, to them, especially at the beginning, the very first time that I raised capital, I was just a random stranger with just an idea. And I don't think there's anywhere in the world where a random stranger with an idea can show up and convince a bunch of other random strangers with money to give, to give that person millions and millions of dollars um, to go after an idea. So the first time I raised money was back in 2016, and we raised a few million dollars then. Then the next time we raised money was early 2017, and we raised, you know, I think close to 10 to 15 million dollars. And then from then on, every time we raised the next round of financing, we raised more. And you know, the key is making sure that you are making progress and you're under-promising and over-delivering every time um, to the previous investors who came in, right? So you go to an investor, you say, hey, give me five million dollars. Here's the vision of where I want to take this company. I need five million to take it to this next milestone, and um, and that's going to happen in twelve months. Well, if you took the five million bucks, you better come back after twelve months, and you should have. And if you've exceeded what you promised them, you're going to do, then you're going to raise another chunk of money to go hit the next milestone. And and so you just have to first have a good vision, have a good business idea that actually is sound and makes sense and can make money, and then chunk. And then split it into smaller chunks of milestone and be able to then very coherently tell a story of how you're going to go through these milestones to get to that big vision and be able to build a business. And, um, and of course, you know, that's what we've done here. And you, you've asked about setbacks. Everyone knows that when, a, when an entrepreneur comes to, to their office and they're going to say, um, I'm going to do it this way. Here's how much it's going to cost. And here's when I'm going to do it. Everyone knows that that plan is probably going to change in six months. And that's why early on people are investing in the team and not necessarily your implementation because the team has to figure out how to move around different obstacles um, to figure a new solution to a bunch of new problems that they didn't know they, they were going to have, you know, a, a year earlier. And so 
lots of setbacks along the way, lots of obstacles, especially in what we do, you know, satellites, there's delays in launches, there is there's delays from, you know, some of the suppliers that we use to, you know, build our satellites. Launches could blow up and you could literally build this satellite, put it on a rocket and the rocket could blow up and your your entire investment goes into flames. So there's a lot of execution risk in what we do. And so I think the key is being able to maneuver through those and and really get to the finish line still still alive and still marching towards the vision that you've set set from the from the very beginning. And when it comes to um, you know, vision and and growth, how do you think that you've been able to transform yourself as a leader from, you know, a company of one to a company now of over two hundred? Because the last thing that you want is for the company to outpace you. Right. And, you know, you see that on many founders that they get stuck and they're not able to really reinvent themselves as the company goes from one life cycle to the next. So in your case, how were you able to keep the same speed? It's really, really difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think, you know, Payam of six years ago and Payam of five years ago and Payam of yesterday are very different Payams, different personality, different skill sets. And I think what's really critical in being able to reinvent yourself is you have to acknowledge that most of what you're about to do and, and start with this journey of company building, you don't know. And, and you need to surround yourself with people who do know and who can help you. And, and you also have to recognize that those people will either also scale with your company or the time for them and a place for them might also change depending on the phase that you're going through the company. But having people around you that can help you go through these transformations that you can trust and you can rely on, um, and, and so therefore you can reinvent yourself to the new challenges that you as the founder and CEO have to deal with is critical because um, otherwise it's just not scalable. You're not going to be able to solve all the problems. You just have to focus, change your focus as a CEO on the type of problems that you want to focus on. And so your team becomes, I think, your secret and superpower in being able to go through these transitions as as smoothly as possible. It's still going to be really difficult, but that's that's your only way through it if you want to continue to scale. And as we're talking about vision here, to dig deep a little bit into that, if you were to go to sleep tonight, Payam, and, and you, were, you wake up in a world where the vision of Capella is fully realized, what does that world look like? We believe in a future where there is complete transparency um, of what's happening here on Earth. Uh, we want to get to a future where uh, there is no change, literally zero change that goes unnoticed on planet Earth. We're not there today. We're nowhere close to it. In order to get there, we need to monitor our planet from space, which is the piece that we're working on. And we need to be able to do that almost real time, right? So you need to be able to take a picture or frankly video of San Francisco, LA, Washington, DC, Singapore. I mean, frankly, all the places that there is, there is a change that people care about. You need to be able to take a picture or video in real time, all the time, in all conditions from space. Then you need to be able to connect that feed from space to other sensors and other feeds from other places, such as terrestrial sensors, sensors in the ocean, sensors in the air. And we want to be able to get to a point where we have 
real-time data from all over our planet that then we can use to make better decisions. And so we want this data to be actionable, right? And we want to get to a point where you can say, if something happens somewhere in the world, then you can build a logic around it and say, if this happens, and by the way, we're automatically monitoring, then automatically do this other thing, right? So if this, then do that type of an algorithm, but in a very digital way for our entire planet. And so people can use APIs to log into the system and essentially use this as a workflow to build additional applications and processes uh, for both personal use as well as for commercial use. And, and that's the future that we're going to get to. It's just a matter of time. And at Capella, we're playing a pretty important and critical role in, in executing on that vision. Um, and so I think that's, that's going to happen. And, and we're, 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 we're working really hard every day to, to, to make it a reality faster. And obviously you have now over 200 people. And as we're thinking about vision, I think that it's also very important to have each and every single one of those 200 people being excited with that vision and being excited too about the future that they're living into. So how do you go about, you know, making sure that everyone knows in which direction they're rowing into? Was I think it's really important to restating the vision of the company as often as you can. I think it's really important to um, go from the vision, which is more of a long-term path for the company to immediate goals for the next 12 months, 24 months, and be able to reiterate that. I think it's also really important to go from those 12 months, 24 months goals and, 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 uh, and flow that down to this quarter and specifically to individuals in the company. And, and this whole thing needs to really tie uh, well together. You know, people need to know in the company, the thing that they're doing today, this quarter, how does it impact the, the short-term goals? And then how does it impact the long-term vision of the company? And as you scale the company, communicating that and reiterating that becomes pretty critical because, you know, when we were a company of 20 people, it was easy to, to, to make sure we're all aligned and we're all doing the same thing for the same, you know, in the same direction. Company of 200 people, you just have to reiterate and, and communicate effectively as often as you can. Now, if I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, I bring you back in time to that moment where... You were coming out of Stanford where you were thinking about, you know, hey, how do I build a company, you know, to perhaps solve this problem of mapping things out and, and, and finding out where the hell is this plane and things like that. Imagine if you were able to go back in time and have a, ch and have a chat with that younger Payam and giving that younger Payam one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? There's, there's, there, I can't, I, it's hard. It's going to be hard giving just one advice. I mean, I, I, it's, I could probably write a book for that poem and, and would have probably 20 different chapters on 20 different ways that I should have done things differently. I think one big thing that's, that I've realized over the last six and a half years of Capella is there's a lot of times where no one knows any better than you. And, and everyone is trying to make guesses. And, and it's, I think it's really important to realize when you're in those moments where you can't make a scientific decision 
and there's just no one that knows any better. You just have to make a decision. Everyone, you're in the same boat as everyone else is, and everyone else is in the same boat as you are. Um, I think recognizing when you are in that situation versus in situations where there is a right answer and someone could tell you exactly what the right answer should be, realizing that those two are different situations and both of them happen. And when you're in which situation um, is going to, I think, save a lot of time and, um, and it leads into better decision making. I think early on in my career, I was overdoing both of them. There were times where I was making decisions fast because I had to make a decision fast, uh, where maybe the decisions were wrong and I could get to the, to a, to a, you know, objective truth if I consulted with the right people. And then there were times where I was trying to find truth by, by consulting with as many people as I could, but, but no one really knew. And it was one of these decisions where you just had to, you were trailblazing and you had to make the right decision based on the information you had, and there was no right or wrong answer. And I think it's really important to realize uh, whenever you're in those type of situations. I love it. So Payam, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on LinkedIn. Those are probably the best ways to reach out. I check my LinkedIn messages and tweets and we're hiring. We're hiring a lot of people over the next 12 months. So um, get on the Capella website, capellaspace.com. And, uh, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to, we'd love to chat. Amazing. Well, Payam, it was, it was an honor to have you on. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to be with all of us today. Thanks. It was great to be with you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.